0: Got here. It's been a bit, about uh, five, four-ish months. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. For starters, uh, the election is two weeks away from the day I'm recording, which today is, in fact, Tuesday, October 25th. Midterms are in two weeks. So a lot has happened since uh, this last uh, show. We're to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about abortion strategy, Biden, Mar-a-Lago, what's going on in Eastern Europe and the Ukraine. Gas it went down for a bit. It was looking like it was doing good. Now it skyrocketed again. Now it's going down again. Biden did something. Uh, Martha's Vineyard and DeSantis. The Dow was down. Inflation economy, China. Everything, everything is happening. You're listening to Capitol Hill Landscaping with Scotty. Here, only on K-Woo. Now, let's get into the nitty-gritty. So, uh, during our uh, hiatus, uh, the Supreme Court reversed the uh, Roe v. Wade decision. The Supreme Court decision, brought about under the Carter administration, uh, protected abortion by the Constitution. And thus, it being reversed, uh, abortion is no longer a constitutional right. Now, what does this fully mean, in effect? Well, several states have already instituted basically complete a complete uh, ban on abortion, while other states uh, have strengthened it, in a sense. Now, specifically what this decision does, it doesn't make abortion illegal on a national level. What it instead does, it gives the decision back to the states. So now this is a state's rights or a state's issue that varies state by state. And what are the ramifications for this? Well, all, of course, um, the Democrats now had a rally cause to rally behind. They didn't really have anything for the most part. They were kind of getting their butts whooped in the uh, greater culture war for better part of uh, first half of the year. Then the decision came around. They actually had so momentum, and on according to the RCP or the Real Clear Politics uh, polling average, the Democrats actually held a uh, majority in the generic uh, polling ballot for a bit over all of September, actually. But as we see now with more recent polling data, that uh, that I guess I'd call it like a Roe v. Wade surge is kind of back down. For various reasons, of course, uh, but essentially the Democrats are now full frontal about abortion. It's their main campaign issue this season and basically saying, oh, the Republicans won't govern as good as we will. President Biden has made numerous statements as basically saying, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but like he's basically said, if Republicans get elected, the economy will get worse is his basic standpoint that he's been kind of parading around. However, if you live say like on a West Coast state, or like say if you live in Oregon, hypothetically speaking, if say uh, governor nominee, Republican nominee uh Christine Dry Dre, Dray- Dryzan. Draizen? Drazen. No. Drazen I've I never I had a hard time. I thought her name was Dryzan for the Longest time. Not great. I'm not great with English, but it's the only language I speak. Anywho, um, uh, Christine Drazen is an anti—she's a, pro, a pro-life candidate. However, the likelihood of her making abortion illegal in Oregon is next to none. She can't do anything. The reason why is because abortion in Oregon is a constitutional right— I.e, it's in the Oregon State Constitution that a woman should have access to an abortion. Now, the fact that we, the difficulty of passing an amendment on the federal level should make it easy to understand that it's even harder to do it at the state level. unless, of course, you do a um, ballot measure, which which if you don't know what a measure is, a measure is basically a form of direct democracy. Like Oregon, for instance, we have four measures uh, on the ballot this year, um, all of which are not to be decided by the legislator, but are to be decided by Oregonians. It's a rather interesting concept because it's the purest form of democracy that I have seen in this country, or I guess I should say within Oregon itself because I'm not very knowledgeable on how measures are state to state. However, I just know that it's the only time of the year, really, where the people get to decide policy. And I guess for Oregon's case, it's easier to do that because it's a smaller population. You're able to know results quicker, collect ballots easier, and so on and so on. Now talking about gas prices well we know if you uh are unfortunate enough to live on the west coast if you're in somewhere in the south by chance you're probably fine gas is 320 350 a gallon at the most uh oregon went up to five dollars and 20 cents in my area the other day it's back down to 492 a gallon the last time i checked However, uh, I'm still a little upset about that, personally. You know why? Because it is pretty expensive, even if you drive, like, an economic kind of vehicle, like I do. Like, uh... It's about 50 to fill up the tank. Now, if somebody so happens to have a bigger car that requires more gas to power it, then obviously they're going to be more impacted by it, of course. Now... Why is this case? Why are gas prices going up and why are they going down? Biden actually uh, tweeted earlier today, in fact, about saying how the gas average is around the 350 benchmark, the average that is. However, it's important to note that a solid, I want to say even third or really a fourth. Well, basically, the entire West Coast is basically dying for gas. Um now, there's many reasons for this. Obviously, I mean the biggest reason is just importation. Half, I believe it's like half the cost of gas is entirely dependent on just transporting it, not even like its production. So all of all of Californians, California's California's uh, gas, or at least a large chunk of it anyway, has to go through a harbor, which is awful. Basically, it's like that. Basically, guarantees the price to be higher than a dollar, and then. uh Oregon most of its gas comes also it goes from Portland and flows basically throughout the rest of the state. I was actually reading uh, watching a video about how we might be expecting the big Cascadian earthquake which would basically uh, screw over uh, the entire Pacific Northwest for the most part and how basically saying um, since our Basically, our point of entry for all our fuel in Oregon is kind of on the mouth of the Columbia River. It would create probably the worst wildfire uh, in human history. Well, not in human history, but, like, in North America. The worst wildfire in human history was, um... Oh, oh, sorry about that. It hit the mic by accident. A little quick, I guess, fun fact, but the reason why the Australian Outback exists is because um, the native people there accidentally burned the entirety to the ground i.e. the australian outback used to be this very lush beautiful jungle much like the amazon and then it burned to the ground and has never recovered since so excuse me for using hyperbole saying oh this is the worst wildfire in human history when it's clearly not like picture picture the amazon fire but except when not there's like a few points and places that are on fire but like the entirety of Brazil, basically, is on fire. That's basically what happened in Australia. Anywho, other funny news about oil. Not really funny, haha, but funny, interesting. Uh, yeah, our strategic reserve of, of oil is, uh, we're almost dry. Like, we're almost completely gone of it. Biden is basically uh, releasing strategic reserves to keep prices down just enough so maybe his party can retain some momentum, or hold on, barely, by any means necessary. However, this has come to a great cost, I would say. Not in terms of just strategic value. The U.S. is not producing as much oil as it was. The shale oil revolution has kind of dwindled down. Production has been cut back. OPEC, the Organization of Oil-Producing Economic Countries, basically said, yeah, we're slashing by uh, two million barrels. We're cutting production that much. Basically meaning, guaranteeing the price of oil will most likely go up mid-November, early December, I'd say. I'm predicting, personally, probably I will have to pay $6 a gallon at some point. Not enjoyable. Not in the slightest. So, what's a solution to fixing gas prices? Well, uh, there's really two options for President Biden. Because gas prices is on everyone's mind. I cannot, it's important to note that when it comes to literally any election, most people will always, the majority of people will vote based on economics. You look at pretty much every trend of why a uh, incumbent lost economics. Like Trump, for the most part, along with a bunch of uh, social unrest, lost because of covid and basically how it screwed over his entire like working basically he exploded the economy and then went downhill for there. people couldn't work and then basically everybody a lot of people's lives were absolutely ruined and so you blame the guy on top obviously and then bada bing bada boom biden gets elected anywho biden what he can do if he wants to bring down the price of oil he can either he has a few options Uh, One, incentives, not really that great, basically wiggling his fingers saying, I'm going to produce oil, but it's probably not realistic. Then there's the two, there's a foreign way, basically uh, acknowledging the leader of Venezuela, I believe his name is Maduro, and basically opening up formal relations to then invest in that country's oil infrastructure in order to bring down prices or nationalize America's oil companies and basically force production. If he doesn't do any of these, then he's essentially a sitting duck for the most part. There's not much he can do, especially since the Strategic Reserve is uh, almost uh, completely empty. But like I said, it's on everybody's mind, economics. Gas prices is just one part of it. Uh, Cost of living has gone up. Oregon landlords are able to raise rents by a whopping 14% this year, which is astronomically high for a lot of people who are already struggling financially due from either the pandemic or inflation. But enough about economics for now. Hold on just a second. We're gonna go back to a few months ago, a very uh, interesting event. Um, So Trump has basically, when he left the White House, he basically went into exile in uh, Mar-a-Lago, a, a, like, fancy resort house that he owns in uh, Florida. And uh, it just so happens, a few months ago, uh, this home was uh, raided by the uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation for the reason of possession of classified documentation that Trump wasn't allowed to have. Now, obviously, the backlash of this was immense from the GOP, who basically saw this as a targeting of Trump because Trump... As of now stands is kind of the favorite for the 2024 Republican nomination, and it's most and that has been solidified for the fact that uh, yesterday there was the Florida governor's debate where DeSantis basically said, "I'm not if I get elected governor again because he's running for re-election this year; he's staying for that four years." Leading a meaning a hypothetical DeSantis presidency will not happen until 2028. Anywho, basically, the raid on Mar-a-Lago was seen as uh, partisan politics. The FBI wasn't really super clear at first. There's an interview with Trump uh, following the raid. There's also an, an investigation by the New York uh, Department of Justice that has launched into the investigation to the former uh, president's business dealings. All that good stuff has not really affect has, how has this affected? Well, so far we don't know the long-term consequences of this because this is an ongoing investigation. Uh, reporting will continue on it, of course, and we'll I'll bring you updates on it if you're listening to this. But um, it's kind of an this is a rather ongoing event that could have impacts on 2024 for sure. Speaking of or mentioning uh, Governor DeSantis again, There's been a spike in immigration, and thus, if you haven't been following, uh, Governor uh, Abbott of Texas and Governor DeSantis of Florida have been effectively—they've been shipping migrants that arrive to the states, or I guess specifically Texas or Florida—and then they uh, bus them to either. Say, New York, for example, where the mayor of New York has declared a state of emergency because now you now have to deal with a a massive influx of people coming to the city. And the city just does not have the resources and is not capable of handling such a dramatic increase in population. However... um, Of this trend, which was kind of like an underground, it wasn't really an underground. It was just kind of like, oh, they're doing, they're busing migrants to basically northern states that are hardline blue states, effectively. Uh, Of these, uh, Governor DeSantis uh, sent a plane, like a small private jet, to uh, Martha's Vineyard, which is like this very, very bougie, like liberal area. Like I believe the Obamas own a house there. Several other like high society celebrities own homes there, but they basically they arrive. DeSantis essentially just dropped them off in Martha's Vineyard, and then the and then they were the migrants were like kicked out or like relocated like two days later. Now this uh, increased a, an enormous backlash, and there was an investigation launched to say, Hey, is this even legal to do on DeSantis' part? Still ongoing. Not really seen any updates on that as of yet. Anywho, we got... Going away from the U.S., we have an update on the Eastern Front, or Eastern Europe, or more specifically, uh, the war in Ukraine. Now, the war is still ongoing. It's raging on. Tensions have escalated quite a bit since our last reporting. Um, As I last reported... Uh, The Russia was kind of stalled. It was kind of very much a static front. Russia wasn't pushing, or if they were pushing, they were maybe capturing like a mile per day of territory in Ukraine. However, uh, Ukraine made made massive uh, offensive gains, launching a counteroffensive in the northeastern region of the country, basically undoing five months of Russian progress. Essentially capturing, recapturing more territory in, five, in like two weeks than Russia did in the previous five months of the war. Uh, in reaction to this, President Putin has decreed a partial mob mobilization to fill in gaps in the front line and has also issued uh, nuclear threats uh, alongside it. Not looking good, Biden commented. We are closer to Armageddon than in the 1960s Cuban Missile Crisis. Not an amazing time to uh, be alive. In other news, uh, President Lukashenko, the current dictator of uh, Belarus, might join in with Russia, kind of more officially, and open up, reopen the northern front once more. If you don't remember, Russian troops invaded northern Ukraine and through Chernobyl at the start of the war, and were in the suburbs of Kiev, and they invaded through uh, Belarus. Belarus, Russ, Russ, Russ? either or. Um, interesting to note, however, is Iran has been um, giving suicide drones to Russia, and a new appointee to basically by Putin to lead, essentially a new commander in chief of operations in Ukraine have in have seen a massive increased uh, bombing of the western portion of the country, knocking out lots of power grids, and effectively trying to, uh, sort of terrorize the country in a way, while also kind of trying to demoralize them, and all of this has caused tension, global tension to rise, and we shall see how it develops in the coming months. I'm holding out hope for peace, but we'll see. Heading more to uh, well, north and southern Europe, we see a we had two elections and one non-NATO state and a NATO allied nation of the U.S. Uh, Sweden and Italy have both elected right-wing parties to head government. Basically, the Swedish left-wing coalition had lost to uh, the Swedish center right coalition that has been spearheaded by the new Swedish Democrats party not really new new but essentially it's a party that has surged within the last decade along with the Swedish Democrats the Brothers of Italy party in Italy have are leading the co- early they are leading the other right-wing coalition in Italy now why is this case well There's two main reasons. Uh, It's a reaction to mass immigration uh, to Sweden and to Italy, and then also from economic woes that the previous governments were unable to handle. Now, this could predict a more global trend, however, in European politics. However, um, Macron uh, won his re-election against uh, Le Pen in their rematch which Le Pen was kind of the leader of all right. right. Um, speaking to note, I should mention what a coalition is of government. So in pretty much every European country, there are multiple parties. There aren't just two parties that dominate the electoral system and government like we have in the U.S. So uh, the Swedish Democrats, if I'm remembering correctly, they received 28% of the vote, which... Is not enough to hold a majority or to control government, so they have to ally with like-minded parties to form a government, which then means that a prime minister is elected. It's a similar thing of how the UK, the UK is a very good example, except not, because the UK has had the Tories and Labour basically dominate elections forever. Speaking of the UK, we have um quite the interesting conundrum happening. Um I should mention that um uh, Queen Elizabeth II ha- has uh, passed away sadly and um, her son, King Charles III has taken up the throne of England, the first king in um, 72 years. Now, I guess by some correlation I guess not really some correlation. Uh, UK has not been doing too too hot. The Tories or the Conservative Party had won a major re-election uh, in the previous election cycle. However, their government is kind of in a bit of a shakeup a little bit. Boris Johnson, who was who took over after uh, former Prime Minister uh, Theresa May resigned, uh, took on leadership of uh, the Conservative Party of Britain. However, due to failed COVID policies and economic troubles, he was also forced to resign, leading to an internal election. You see, when a prime minister in the UK resigns, uh, the conservatives still control the country. They just have to internally elect a new prime minister. Because the prime minister basically, in theory, enacts the will of the king, but is chosen by the party to lead leading to the 44-day the uh, prime, prime ministership of former prime minister uh, Liz Truss, who then uh, resigned. And then, after Liz Truss resigned, there was another election, which seemed Boris was about to take again. He had the necessary votes to re-enter power once again. However, uh, there is a, after Boris dropped out, uh, what's his name? Rishi Sunak is now the incumbent prime minister who will succeed Liz Truss and lead the Conservative Party. He will be the first non-white prime minister of the UK. Leading to a rather interesting observation some have had, how... The Labour Party, who is very socially left-wing and very uh, prom- a very heavy promoter of immigration, have basically had, is lacking in terms of uh, prime ministers, uh, not doing well in that category in terms of diversity. Whereas the Conservative Party have had three female prime ministers and now have elected the first non-white prime minister of England. <coughs> Excuse me, um, let me sip a water. However, how will uh, Rashid Sunak lead? We don't know. He's coming in. However, this is quite the unprecedented shakeup in leadership, so we'll see if he stands firm and is able to lead the UK in a better way in comparison to all his trust, that is. Anywho, back to back to state side, we got some uh, big boosters. Not really boosters, but like some big things to talk about. Um, if you remember from any of... If you've listened to the show last year, or not really last year, but a few months ago, I always ragged on Biden on how he could instantly improve his poll numbers by legalizing marijuana and forgiving student loan debt. Well, he's actually done both, except not really, if that makes sense. So Biden has launched a student loan debt uh, forgiveness program up to where, depending on your status, what kind of grants you've taken, you can get up to 20K, 20K in student loan debt forgiveness, if you qualify, and has also signed off on the release of any non-violent uh, possession of marijuana. However, both acts have failed and have, not really failed, but have been met with scrutiny by basically everyone, all sides, <coughs> the progressives, the conservatives, everybody's upset because it's either does too little, it does too much, it's not good, it's bad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He is not catching a break. Like I said, if he wanted to boost his numbers indefinitely, he would have wiped the slate clean with student loan debt altogether or completely made marijuana legal. However, the release of nonviolent drug offenders hasn't really seen that many prisoners released. As there are far more, as it turns out, of a lot of uh Drug possession cases also included some other secondary charge that would not be annulled, for example. So, regardless of whether the criticism faced by Biden, um, his approval rating has jumped up. It's now sitting in the low 40s, which for president um, in the 21st century, it's not bad. It's okay. It's been better. It's not as good as when he first was elected in office. But that ship has sailed uh, long gone by now. Kamala, however, is still less popular than Dick Cheney. Unsurprisingly, it's not surprising she's less popular than Christian Bale. It's a movie reference. Watch Vice. It's a really good movie. However... Yeah, Kamala has her approval rating has not gone up even though Biden has per se. But we shall see. It'll be interesting to see if they remain on the same ticket next year or if she'll get replaced by another reelection candidate because it's not unprecedented to basically say, "Oh, I want to run on this ticket instead." Like that's not uncommon. Sputnik can definitely run for re-election and choose somebody else. Like, you can choose Pete Buttigieg or something along those lines. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, heading back to the West Coast, heading back to a bit more locally, uh, we're looking at a very interesting uh, midterm cycle for Oregon this year. As you know, our three frontrunners for governor this time around are Christine Drazen, Tina Kotek, and Betsy Johnson. Excuse me. Surprisingly of all, Drazen has been pulling the highest out of the three for the past few polls. There was one that put Kotek at a plus eight. However, in comparison to a total polling average, Drazen is still up ahead by around one to two points. This comes mainly out of but Betsy is acting as a democratic spoiler, as she is has more policies in common with Kotik than she does with Drazen. It's kind of getting worrisome for the Kotek camp and campaign, as in President Biden had to make a stop in Portland the other day to basically raise support for Kotek. Now, here's why that's bad. If a sitting president has to campaign, or if you need politicians to campaign for you in a state that you won by 16 points in the last election, that's not a good sign. Like, practically, it's just not a great sign. In terms of my personal, where i traveled, I've been, took a trip uh, over the coast, which the coast, despite being a more rural area, is traditionally a liberal enigma, if that makes any sense, because when we think of rural versus urban, we always associate one with the other, but in Oregon, the coast is always pretty liberal in most cases, and while on my trip, I was in Astoria checking out the film museum, uh, I saw basically not a single Kotech sign, but I counted at least probably 40 Betsy's, meaning that Kotec in terms of Polling, we'll we won't see until the actual election day when we can get a fancy schmancy map. Uh, we'll see a very interesting map look-alike. Is it possible that Betsy could win? I don't say counter out. It's all there's always a chance. Don't say oh no chance. There's always a chance. Any one of these candidates can win per se. After all, polling is always not accurate. There was only one poll in 2016 that predicted Trump would be president, which was, to pretty much everybody, a shocker at the time. So, in terms of polling aggregate sites, 538 and RCP are showing favor to Drazen winning. An interesting point to note is that uh, Phil Knight, founder of Nike, uh, namesake on the Phil Knight Stadium in, the, in uh, Eugene, has both given a million dollars to both uh, Drayson and Johnson. Why is this? Uh, well, Drayson and Johnson are both running on campaign of fiscal responsibility, i.e. less government spending, less taxes for Phil Knight. That'd be good. I guess those Cortez shoes are uh, coming in supplying the campaign funds this time around. Quite interesting. Quite interesting indeed. Going back to more national level, uh, Democrats, we touched on this early today, but in terms of just general midterms, the Dems were up in all of September. They got up to, I believe, the highest they really they got up to was about 1.8 points, nearly a two-point uh, a nearly two-point lead in the generic ballot over Republicans. Which, if that was the case, you apply that to the election would basically mean uh, government Democrat control. However, that is flipped. Republicans have had a scene a massive surge beginning at the start of October, and it doesn't seem to be going or slowing down anytime soon. RCP is predicting three GOP Senate pickups and three GOP governor pickups, as long as uh, GOP control of the House of Representatives. Now, out of one of these, out of easily the most interesting race, is the Senate race in Pennsylvania in Pennsylvania. Ie the yeti the yeti man himself uh, Fetterman versus uh, Doctor Oz, famous medical celebrity in his field. Now, what's interesting to note is that Oz, for most of the campaign, has been down by solid five six points. Most polls shows now he's only down by two in a most recent poll that I've seen. Other states. Uh, Nevada is a toss-up. It can literally go either way. Nevada is probably one of the key races for this election style. Then we get to Georgia. Georgia is a very, very interesting case. Now, if you don't remember, Georgia had a runoff election along with a separate Senate election that happened a few about, I want to say, a month after the midterms uh, happened. Basically, the GOP lost both Senate seats in Georgia basically solidifying uh, the 50-50 Democrat control in the Senate. Now, why am I mentioning Georgia? Well, Georgia is a very interesting case. Herschel Walker, the Republican nominee, has been the subject of controversy. However, this controversy isn't impacting his polling, like, at all. It's strange. A lot of controversies say, for example, Mike Erickson who I've seen countless political ads saying that he's pro-life, but he had his girlfriend had an abortion, and that's kind of like a center target to target him from winning in Oregon's 6th district, which is, I believe, last time I checked, still a toss-up to a lean, i.e. a 1% Democrat margin. It's insane. It really goes to show that in terms of economics, economics will trump social uh, issues in terms of how people votes in an election cycle. So basically what I'm saying is essentially people will ignore social policy for economic policy above all else. And this is kind of just a given. Foreign is another thing. However, in terms of foreign policy, the center of attention is obviously Ukraine, but both parties are pretty unanimous in their decision to want to uh, keep funding Ukraine's war effort against Russia or basically the strategic reason of, well, we can just sell them old equipment, and at the same time, Russia, who we haven't really had the greatest relationship with, uh, can basically uh, drain itself trying to fight in Ukraine. Now, in terms of four states, I say, obviously, you're in Oregon, you're going to care about Oregon, but other states on a national level, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Nevada are probably the three Most key states uh, this election cycle in terms of the Senate control. If the Republicans have control of the Senate, Biden is essentially going to be a more lame duck president than he already was. What I mean by that is basically Biden's strengthening, like, save America, build back better agenda has been severely watered down. They were able to pass it. They were finally able to convince Senator Manchin to uh, agree to how they agreed to sign off and vote for the bill. However, it's a very, very watered down version of what was originally Paul, uh, promise, which it's good. He passed it. However, it's not going to be good in the future as in somebody say opportunistic wants to run again in 2024, take the dem nominee nomination from Biden, which in my opinion is very possible i.e. the Kamala-Biden ticket was really only so strong because there was this basically a united coalition to get rid of Trump. However, since Trump is, at the moment, no longer in office, that coalition is kind of dispersed, and there's really not a united front anymore to where somebody can easily take the mantle from Biden. In terms of Bernie's successors, uh, Fetterman who I had my eyes on because he seemed like the potential inheritor of Bernie's movement, his suffering from, he suffered a stroke, actually, if you don't recall, if you don't remember, uh, he suffered a stroke literally like the day of he won the dem nomination for Senate in Pennsylvania. And so it'll be rather interesting to see how he acts. However, there's been a lot of, Questions about Fetterman's health. And I believe that's also contributing to his poll number. I, you have this sick, this guy who's like sick guy. He's not, he's not doing too hot. He's doing okay. And then he's running against this doctor. Who's like this wonder man of medicine and nutrition diet and stuff that it's been on TV for like 15 years or whatever. Let's see here. Ba, 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 ba. If you mentioned, if you remember earlier, the, Elon Musk Twitter deal still happening. He hasn't bought it yet. He's going to buy it. He's made a promise to cut 75% of the staff of Twitter, which a report would see a complete, basically, destruction of Twitter's content moderation team. The deal, as the original amount, is still standing. And an investigation has been launched into Musk and his business shenanigans with the Twitter buyout. Musk is one of the richest men in the world. Not history, I should add. Mons Musa, Molly holds that title for now over Octavian and Rockefeller. So, the Musk Twitter deal kind of is coming, raising alarms among some people, i.e. Musk is... Musk is? Musk? Musk, Muskets? Musk is... Elon Musk is Twitter. It's always hard to pronounce that. Elon, I'll just call him Elon. Elon's platform for Twitter so far, basically he wants to make it a Wild West internet site from my understanding. That's what he's planning on doing. But we shall see how that turns out for him. It's just, Hasn't gone through yet, like, um, at all. In other news, uh, the Russian Russia has uh, rejected Brittany Griner's appeal, meaning she will most likely face nine years in prison, for the most part. Uh, Tom Brady basically sacrifices family to uh, lose to the Panthers and to lose to the Steelers, so uh, he's not he's uh he's not he's not, he's not doing too hot. Well. I want to say uh, thank you for uh, tuning in this week and listening to me uh, babble and talk about uh, various and serious events uh, happening, uh, you know, in the country, in the state and uh, up and down and, you know, uh, pretty much everywhere, honestly. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Please check out our other programming that's up on Kwoo Voices on Spotify. Uh, check out our website, Kwoo.com. You can just find it by just Googling KWO and Google. It takes you straight to it. You can check up our schedule there, too, What programs and shows we got lined up and going. Uh, I'll be back same time. If you're listening to this live, it will be uh, Tuesdays at 3 p.m., except for the notable exception on the uh, November 8th. In that case, uh, it's going to be the Wednesday after the 8th. I.e. The 8th is Election Day after all, so I'm kind of going to be Pretty, pretty busy with uh, that. Thank you again so much for tuning in. And if you're listening live, back to your regularly scheduled programming.